You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hi, my name is Ron Bachman, and this is a new radio program. If you found this on YouTube or iTunes or some other source that produces this um, video, um, we're glad to have you. I think you're going to find it exciting. There's a lot of things we can learn about healthcare. Healthcare Insights is the name of the program. The tagline is Creating the Possible. We're going to talk in these series of presentations about what could be, what should be, what might be. We're going to talk to experts. We're going to talk about new ideas. Could be helpful to consultants who are trying to offer products to their customers. Could be helpful to government uh, elected officials who want to provide more affordable health care to the citizenry. Could be helpful to individuals who are saying, why can't I find better health care, better health insurance? Why can't I find something that's affordable? Well, we're going to make a lot of inroads over the next few weeks in the various ways that health insurance should be developed, should be presented, and should be available to the general public. My name is Ron Bachman. I'm a fellow of the Society of Actuaries and a member of the American Academy of Actuaries. So I do tend to approach things from the technical side. But I'll try not to be a boring actuary. I'll try to present some information that's usable, tangible, practical solutions. And I'll try to do it in a fun way as well. I'm a retired partner from PricewaterhouseCoopers. I have three missions in life. One is to solve the uninsured problem with free market solutions. So Obamacare never did cut it for me. I want to find a way to create a private free market that works for everybody, that covers pre-existing conditions, provides guaranteed issue. If you want health insurance, you'll get health insurance. Because without a good health insurance policy, it's very difficult to access good health care. So the opening round of how we get good health care is try to figure out what in the world can we do to small businesses and the individuals who want to get health insurance at an affordable rate that gives them access, that opens the doors to good health care? Health care reform would require a whole lot more. Different ideas, tort reform, transparency, pricing changes, new alternatives to getting care, Centers of excellence, elimination of coordination of benefits, changing the way we do emergency rooms, how we allow people access without health insurance to get into the healthcare system as free riders. All those are good points. And anybody who's had any kind of dealing with the healthcare system can find that thread of a problem that they saw as they engaged in the healthcare system. And begin to pull on that thread and say, this is what needs to get changed. This is what needs to get changed. And I agree with all of that. But what I want to start with this new program, Healthcare Insights, Creating the Possible, is to start with health insurance reform. Because actually most of Obamacare was about health insurance reform. So I want to solve the uninsured problem, which are mainly small groups and individuals with how to get health care and how the system should be created 
a level playing field between individuals and small groups and insurance companies who have all the power to accept or deny coverage, to price differently, to rate differently. Yes, some states have some controls, some limitations, but basically the laws, the rules, the regulations were written by insurance company lawyers and lobbyists. They were not for the benefit of individuals. So that's my first mission. And we're going to try to tackle that early on with these broadcasts. The second mission is to expand mental health benefits. I've been involved in the mental health area for a long time, trying to get states to pass laws and ultimately the federal government to pass laws that says insurance claims for mental health services ought to be treated the same as physical health services. You cannot solve many physical problems unless you deal with underlying depression, stress, and other mental health conditions. For far too long, we've kind of pushed aside mental health issues. We're seeing that in a lot of different aspects of our economy and society. We need to better deal with mental health issues, both the extreme cases of mental health and the daily issues that we all face and suffer from, which may be more likely depression, stress, anxiety, those things that are affect our attitudes, our ability to deal with other people, our ability to deal with family members, co-workers. So mental health is very important. There are really four aspects of human existence, mental, physical, social, spiritual. And we'll try to deal with all of those. But this second mission of mine is to recognize the importance of mental health services and expand those services make them more accessible, make them more available to people without stigma. Mental health is the one illness that you tend to push away the caregivers, you push away family members. Any other medical condition, you would gather in all the experts, you'd want all the opinions, you'd want all the support. But mental health is a little different in that you tend to push away all those people who can help you. The third mission that I have is what I call healthcare consumerism. That is getting people more engaged in their health and healthcare decision making, giving them the tools, the resources, having benefits that reward and incentivize them for taking the proper actions, to following their doctor's orders, taking their medication, following treatment plans, getting people more educated and having benefits that actually allow them what I call shared risk rewards. If they're doing the right things, then the insurance company, the risk-bearing entity, whether it's the state, the federal government, the employer, or the insurance company, will share some of that savings back because the consumer, the patient, is doing the right things. So those are my three missions. Solving the uninsured problem with free market solutions, expanding mental health benefits, and promoting healthcare consumerism. So this webcast is going to focus in those three areas in particular and we're going to bring in experts we're going to talk about a lot of things that would be hopefully new to many of the listeners expand your knowledge expand your horizons expand your insight into what could and should be available so let's just dive into it what are we going to talk about in health care insights well, let's 
get a call to action. Let's state the reason why we need to do something serious, significant, and impactful to create a private market for health insurance to help those small group, under 50 employee lives typically, and individuals who are out there, whether they're entrepreneurs running their own business, whether their employer doesn't have any health insurance and they want to go out and buy an individual policy. Well, my call to action is a recognition that we have a very divided country around a lot of issues, especially health insurance. We have one party in the United States that's talking about government takeover, Medicare for all, single-payer system, things that give the federal government in particular more control over your health care decisions, your health care coverage, the health care reimbursements to the doctors and hospitals that you want to go to. So to a large degree, this presentation is a call to action to those who want free market solutions. I believe the Democrats captured the House of Representatives in 2018 because the voters believed that they would preserve coverage of pre-existing conditions as provided in the Affordable Care Act, the ACA or Obamacare as it's sometimes called. Voters did not and still do not trust Republicans on health care. An April 2019 poll by the Associated Press found that in regards to whom they trust to handle their health care, voters favored Democrats 40% to 23%. That's a 17 percentage point advantage over Republicans. So clearly, Americans are giving Democrats a clear edge on health care as the 2020 presidential gear race gears up. The losses in 2018 showed that Republicans cannot wait until after the elections of 2020 to announce a plan to replace Obamacare. If Republicans do not develop and articulate a simple private market alternative to Democrat health proposals, they will again face the wrath of the electorate in 2020 and beyond. In a May 2019 Wall Street Journal op-ed, Carl Rove, a nationally recognized Republican strategist, stated, It's the paradox of success. With 3.6% unemployment and 3.2% growth in gross domestic product, voters are turning to other issues. Clearly, voters, once they're satisfied with the economy, start saying, well, what's the problem? Who can fix the next problem now that this one is fixed? They assume that the next party taking over, the next group of politicians, will continue the success of what has already been solved, and they'll solve the new problems. But we know in reality that that doesn't happen. Many times the first problem that was solved gets reversed as many people try to solve other problems. The May 2019 NBC Wall Street Journal survey asked voters, what should be the top priority for the federal government? 24% chose health care, and 18% said immigration and border security. Job creation and growth came in third at 14%. Again, many people recognize that those issues have sort of been solved with the changes in the administration and the focus on business, lower regulations, tax reform. All those things have been working to improve the economy. Again, Carl Rowe stated, while this shouldn't stop Republicans from selling their economic success, 
It points to healthcare as a central challenge for 2020. The information I want to talk about focuses on the most critical and obvious need directly impacting the voting public and the control of Congress, affordable private health insurance. I have two main purposes in these presentations we're going to be talking about with Healthcare Insights. One is this call to action for health insurance reform among elected Republicans, Republican candidates, and Republican-leaning voters. I reach out to Democrats who are not in favor of a big government takeover. The whole purpose of these presentations is how do you create a private health insurance system? And that applies across party lines. Unfortunately, today, in today's world, that doesn't seem to be a strong possibility. Everybody has gotten into their own corners. So my belief in the need for free market solutions kind of rests in one party, Republican Party. And I hope they will take the lead and try to reach across the aisle and bring in moderate Democrats that want more private market solutions instead of government takeovers. While no official Republican federal legislation has yet taken form, the ideas I want to present are more realistic and tangible than the broad statements that are made by some politicians regarding Medicare for all or a single-payer system. So let's take a break, and we'll come back in the next segment and talk about some of the details and the structure of how a private free market system can be established, how new laws and regulations can take effect to really help the consumers out there get what they want and what they need. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. This is Healthcare Insights, where we believe in creating the possible. We are beginning a series of podcasts that are available on www.americaswebradio.com, where we will be on every Thursday at 11 a.m. That's the schedule. It may change around, so you want to check on the website, see where we might be placed. But right now, we're scheduled to be on every Thursday at 11 a.m. We will also be available on other sources where you may currently uh, be going to find podcasts like iTunes. America's Web Radio will also post YouTube videos of this program. So just go to YouTube and search for America's Web Radio. Following our tagline on creating the possible, for the next few weeks, we'll be exploring how to create a private, free market for health insurance. You know, it's easy for government bureaucrats and politicians to take over and regulate an industry, but it's much, much harder to take an industry that's already overly regulated with mandates, rules, and requirements and transform it into a free market that benefits consumers and patients. It may seem impossible to create a consumer-driven and patient-centric private health insurance market that offers affordable coverage, quality medical care, and voluntary universal access. But that is exactly what we're going to outline over the next several weeks, so stay tuned. Skeptical? I don't blame you. But I guarantee you it is possible. Much of what we will discuss was developed in the 2008 and 2009 period by me with members of Congress and other healthcare experts. But these ideas were aborted when Obamacare passed in early 2010. 
while the, these ideas have been dormant for the last decade, they are still valid and may be the real solution to the repeal and replace of Obamacare. Free market advocates must be prepared for the possibility that the current court challenge to Obamacare may invalidate the entire Affordable Care Act. It is also possible that the next election in 2020 will see enough votes in the U.S. House and Senate to once again tackle repeal and replace of Obamacare. Even if none of this happens and Obamacare uh, stands, there is a safety valve within Obamacare that allows states to develop reforms that give them flexibility from much of the Obamacare requirements. It's referred to as a state innovation waiver under Section 1332 of the ACA. With a favorable administration and power and a flexible health and services uh, department, much of what we will explore today can be implemented now. And there are several states looking at how to do exactly what we're going to describe we hope that many people in these other states, politicians, regulators, governors, lieutenant governors, will listen to these podcasts, will read the materials that I'll share with you, will go to the websites that are available that will outline exactly how we can avoid much of Obamacare and implement a repeal and replace if Obamacare is in fact ruled unconstitutional or is voted out after the next election. Here we go. Let's let the found, set the foundation for health reform. Health reform proposals are generally very confusing. To clarify this difficult topic, let's follow the KISS principle. That is, keep it simple, stupid. Too much in healthcare sounds too complicated, especially to the general consumer or patient, let alone to politicians who have to deal with so many other topics. They don't have a really good understanding of health insurance or health care. Concerning health care, everyone tends to point the finger of blame at someone else for our current dysfunctional health care system. Insurers blame hospitals and doctors. Hospitals blame insurers. Doctors blame lawyers. Employers blame non-compliant employees. Hospitals blame technology. And so the blame game goes on and on and on with no solution. Consumers and patients are caught in the middle, simply wanting to get care or treatment they want, when they want it at affordable prices. Well, as we all know, healthcare represents a very large part of our gross domestic product. In 2017, it represented 17.9% of our GDP. Any industry that large is complicated, has lots of vested interests, and is difficult to reform. Most politicians and pundits talk about comprehensive health care reforms that are needlessly complex because they include other political agendas. Of course, nearly all areas of health care need some reform. Medicaid, insurance for the poor is too expensive, and fraud with fraud. Payments to care providers are so low that many doctors do not accept Medicare, Medicaid patients. So you may have Medicaid coverage. You've got a card, but you really can't get Medicaid care because the doctors don't accept it. Or you're put at the back of the line when you need care. You wind up going to the emergency room. Medicare 
insurance for age 65 and older generally, is running out of money. Baby boomers are overwhelming the Medicare system. The Veterans Administration, the VA Health, has long waits and inadequate care. And on and on it goes, problem after problem after problem. We've all been involved in the system at one point or another for ourselves or family members or friends, and we can see the problems when we get involved with it. We say, why can't this be fixed? Why can't that be fixed? Well, remember the old joke, how do you eat an elephant? The answer, one bite at a time. How do you solve massive problems? Start with an area most in need where change can have the biggest beneficial impact. This is especially true when the problems of health care have massive political implications. So let's simplify health reform by prioritizing needs and using the process of elimination. First, let's separate health insurance from health care. While they are intertwined, health care is how one receives services from medical providers, that is, doctors and hospitals, and other affiliated service providers, medical providers. Health insurance is how one finances those medical services. 176 million Americans access health care through their private employer-sponsored health insurance. Most voters are concerned about, one, the cost of their health insurance, two, coverage of pre-existing conditions, and three, their out-of-pocket costs for deductibles and coinsurance. The program we're going to try to discuss and develop in these podcasts and videos focuses on fixing the private health insurance system for about 200 million Americans. Second, let's recognize that Medicare and Medicaid legitimately need reforms as they are government health insurance programs critical to federal and state budgets. Those issues should be addressed separately. There's an enormous amount of waste, fraud, and abuse in both of these programs. In fact, the Medicaid program is probably the fastest growing area of organized crime. And it's been on the Government Accounting Office, which is a watchdog organization. It's been on their fraud list since the late 70s. Government-controlled programs, by their very nature, are politically sensitive. Solutions are difficult, with significant lobbying interests and resistance from special interest constituents. Let's set aside these programs for separate actions. Third, other government programs, the VA Health System, TRICARE, the Children's Health Insurance Program, and others, all need reform and added flexibilities to improve coverage and patient care. Again, the programs we're going to discuss suggest that these issues be dealt with separately through appropriate legislative and administrative actions. I can lay out my thoughts as to the solutions for all of these, but again, we have to focus on the biggest piece. And so what do we have left? That leaves the focus on health insurance needs of three major populations of about 200 million people. The first one, employer-sponsored health plan groups. Two, individually purchased health insurance. And three, the uninsured population. Let's take a look at each of these groups. 
The first one can be split into two pieces, large employers and small employers that offer employer-sponsored and employer-subsidized group health plans. The first one, large employer-sponsored plans, provide affordable employer-subsidized premiums for about 120 million persons. That's employees and their dependents. Large employers provide, on average, 82% premium subsidy to single employee coverage. So if you're a single employee, you don't have any spouses, you don't have any children, you just want to cover yourself, the average subsidy for your health insurance by the employer is 82% of the actual cost of that coverage for the single employee. And if you've got a family, whether it's just a spouse, whether it's children, the average is that the employer will subsidize 74% for that family coverage. Large employer-sponsored health plans avoid many of the Obamacare mandates by using something called self-insurance. Self-insurance is an exemption under Obamacare from many of the mandates, but they still need regulatory relief from some of the remaining aspects of Obamacare, things like mandated coverage, definition of full-time employee, and something that's really troubled them for many years that keeps getting delayed called the Cadillac tax, that if your benefits are too rich, you can pay up to a 40% tax on that excess coverage that you want your employees to have, their dependents to have, to stay healthy and to provide them the benefits that they need. But Obamacare says, no, you can't provide that rich of a plan. Well, many union plans, as an example, and many large employers have fairly rich plans that they heavily subsidize for the benefit of their employees. Where Obamacare says, no, you can't offer those kinds of of good plans. You have to offer the same size fits all, kind of a one size fits all uh, plan that is not as rich as what many employers would like to do to maintain their human capital. What is a self-insured plan anyway? Well, a self-insured group health plan is one in which the employer assumes a financial risk for providing health care benefits to its employees. Basically, they pay an insurance company, which doesn't act as a real insurance company. They act as an administrator. They process claims, do actuarial work, do legal work, do all sorts of um, enrollment, education, provide the services, go out and, and do network discounts with the providers. But at the end of the day, the insurance company is not really acting as an insurer that pools the risk. The risk of claims is with the employer. There's also companies that are not insurance companies at all that are called third-party administrators. They're simply administrators that provide those same services for an employer. And many employers find using a TPA that's not an insurance company to their benefit. In any case, whichever approach you take for who's going to administer your plan, the employer goes on a self-insured route instead of a fully insured. So let's stop here and take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Let's talk about the second part of the employer package, and then we'll go on and talk about the individuals and even the uninsured that still exist under Obamacare. There are 28 and a half million of those. These are all the people that really need our help and care understanding these concepts we're going to be talking about. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? 
Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We're talking about healthcare insights and how we're going to create a new system of private free market health insurance. Let's continue with our thoughts on each of the segments. We've already talked about large employers, the self-insured market. Let's now move into the uh, small under 50 life market and individual markets. That's where the biggest help is needed. Well, let's look at the small employers, the second part of that employer-sponsored package. Small employer-sponsored fully insured businesses provide employer-subsidized premiums to about another 45 million persons. Small employers pay 82% of single premiums if you're a small employer. So it's nearly the same as large employers. And they offer 62% subsidy for family coverage, a little lower than if you're in a large group, which offers uh, 74%. So 62% is pretty significant subsidy by small employers. And the whole idea of these programs we're going to talk about is how do we move from government-subsidized insurance to private company subsidized where there's more flexibility, where there's not a change in the subsidy if you make more money. You're going to get the same if you get a promotion next week. You're going to probably get more subsidy uh, for your coverage if you're under a private plan. But the problem for small employers is that fewer than 30% of workers in businesses of fewer than 50 employees are even insured. Small businesses face the greatest challenge in trying to offer affordable health insurance to their employees. So this is the area, the small groups, the mom-and-pop grocery stores, the small business on the corner that's offering up services to the public that's got fewer than 50 employees. This is the area that needs to be most addressed in any health insurance reform. If we can make insurance affordable to this market, we will have more than 30% of workers with employer-subsidized premiums rather than government-subsidized premiums. So, what is a fully insured plan anyway? Well, it is the most typical thing that people who are not that familiar with insurance think about. A fully insured health plan is that more traditional way to structure an employer-sponsored health plan. With a fully insured health plan, the business pays a premium to the insurance carrier for the payment of claims. So it's the insurance carrier is at risk, whether or not the claims are too high and they might have a loss, or the claims are lower and they make a profit. There are some limitations on how much profit an insurance carrier can make under the current laws that have been in place even before Obamacare. But the insurance company is the gatherer of the risk pool, if you will, to share claims between one group that might have a good year and another group that has a bad year, and that's the way uh, the spreading of risk occurs through the insurance companies that when they're really acting as insurance companies. 
But Obamacare hurt these small groups the most. Its mandates distorted normal pricing. Price compression is what that's called. It overcharges young groups in favor of old age groups. Single risk pools are required under Obamacare, and that lessens the value of healthy programs and incentives that any single employer might implement, whether it's lunchtime programs, healthy activities, educational programs. Everybody under Obamacare is pulled into what's referred to as a single risk pool. So it does not benefit any single employer to get lower premiums if they do good things to help their employees stay healthy, uh, make them safe, make them aware, uh, help them with compliance with their doctor's treatments and care plans. The second major group we want to talk about are individual policies. These are purchased by somewhere around 5% or more of the population, or about 15 million people. This market was also damaged by Obamacare for the same reasons as small, the small group market was hurt. In addition, individuals were required to buy extra coverages that they didn't want or need. Obamacare had very rich benefits that they said, if you want catastrophic plans, I'm sorry, you think you're healthy or you're willing to pay for some claims, you can't have that less expensive catastrophic uh, coverage. So Obamacare really focused on just premiums. They didn't think about the total financing options, whether that's through savings, whether it's through health savings accounts, whether it's through uh, people who have enough cash that they set aside that they want to pay. It was simply making sure everybody had more coverages than they wanted, but it was a one-size-fits-all. And under Obamacare, if they failed to purchase health insurance, if their employer didn't offer insurance and they as individuals didn't go out and get insurance, they faced a tax penalty. Well, fortunately, that individual mandate or tax penalty was eliminated as of January 1st, 2019. So it is not in place anymore. And that also will create other issues as to why Obamacare is in a death spiral. Because only the unhealthy people are staying in Obamacare. In 2018, 10.3 million people received subsidized coverage through federal exchanges for the purchase of Obamacare. Of those, 88.9 million, or 87%, were receiving premium subsidies. For those enrollees, premium subsidies were covering 87% of the cost of coverage in 2018. So you can see that Obamacare was covering a large percentage of the cost of insurance when people were purchasing through an exchange. But if we could convert that to an employer subsidy of nearly the same amount, we would save enormous amounts of money for our federal treasury. And we would shift the cost burden, if you will, from the government to employers who actually want to provide health insurance for their employees and can and want to subsidize the premiums if the overall cost of health care was in fact reasonable. So many in this population, whether they're in small groups, under 50 lives, or they're individuals, many in this population are what we would call the working poor, where there is no employer-sponsored health insurance. These are generally groups of less than 50 lives. This is the population that is in most need. This is the population that worries the most about health care. This is the population of voters that are fearful that their pre-existing conditions are going to keep them from getting coverage if Obamacare is eliminated and not replaced with something 
that really works for them. It's why many people in this market who are traditionally the working class folks who are very much in favor of the Trump administration's approach to America first, to bringing back manufacturing, to making sure that things made in America is what we're buying and that we're working to build this economy. These are the folks that are traditionally Trump voters, but in fact, they'll vote Democrat because of their concern about health care, which is a very expensive part of their overall budget, and they're very concerned. It's why I think many of the the, uh, um, new members of Congress on the House side were elected in 2018. If Republicans don't look at how we can create a system to help these people get coverage, cover their pre-existing condition, have guaranteed coverage, all the positives of Obamacare without the negatives. If we don't figure out a way to do this, the Republicans are going to continue to lose elections. Talk about this issue of government subsidies versus employer subsidies. Employers are having a hard time finding good employees, and so more and more of them are adding health insurance benefits and even benefits beyond health insurance, daycare services, all sorts of support for families uh, to be sure that the workers don't have to worry about issues that are at home. Workers that are traveling, giving special uh, daycare center help and support. All sorts of vision, dental, legal, wellness support programs. Employers are willing to put money in to help their employees stay happy and healthy, but also to recognize that the employees are their human capital. Employers want to provide these kinds of services. And on health insurance, if it's just more affordable, they're willing to provide some subsidies for that. Let's take a look at what the federal government subsidies are today. It's really astounding to see how much Obamacare is providing subsidies to populations that may not really need a subsidy. One of the areas that the federal government uses to measure the need for health insurance subsidies or any government program is something that most of us in the general public don't even know about or understand. It's called the federal poverty level, or FPL. The federal poverty level is a calculation that's done by the federal government that says that an individual or family is not making enough money so that they deserve certain government programs. Excluded from the federal poverty level are a number of free services and support that are already provided for the government. So it's a very complicated, very arcane, very difficult to understand calculation. But here's what we do know. There's a table for 2019 that shows by number of family members how much of an Obamacare subsidy can be provided for families up to these limits. Let me give you an example. For a family of two, just a husband and wife, they can receive Obamacare subsidies up to four times the 2019 federal poverty level. Well, how much is four times the 2019 federal poverty level? Would you believe that it is just under $66,000 a year? The average income across the country is somewhere in the 50,000s. But now we're going to provide subsidies for a family of two making up to $66,000 a year? Let's take a family of four, a mom and dad and two kids. Who's eligible for some level of federal subsidy? What is four times the federal poverty level for that family? 
because it's that four times the federal poverty level that gives people the ability to claim a subsidy under Obamacare. Well, would you believe that four times the federal poverty level for a family of four is over $100,000? It's $100,400 in 2019. So a family making six figures can still qualify for some level of subsidy. Now, clearly the subsidy decreases from lower levels of income to these higher levels of income. But why in the world would anybody develop a program except to buy voters that would provide subsidies for a family of four making over $100,000 a year? Well, even with that, the number of uninsureds which is another key population that we need to be able to develop affordable health care for. Under Obamacare, which was supposed to solve the uninsured problem, there's more than 28.5 million people in 2017 that were still uninsured. Most of those, many of those, were young people who just were not going to pay the higher premiums that Obamacare required because of the expanded coverage requirements of Obamacare, services that the young people didn't need. And then without getting into all the weeds and details of it, the issue that I mentioned earlier called price compression required young people to pay more than their fair share, more than their actuarial equivalent, to be able to offset the costs of sicker and older people. Well, young people really didn't want to buy insurance at the cost they were before Obamacare, And they certainly didn't want to do it when Obamacare increased their premiums by roughly 50%. Well, time goes by fast when you're having fun. Let's take another break for this third segment and come back and wrap it up for this hour in just a few minutes. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Let's complete the thoughts on the small group, individual, working poor. And after that section, let's wrap up this first program, this last segment of the first program, with where we go from here, how we find more details, how we find more information, and how many of you listening to this might want to go to americaswebradio.com and listen to other healthcare broadcasts. Over time, we'll have... These broadcasts listed out, this is the first of many, and some websites that you might go to to prepare and understand where we're going with some website links that can give you more education around various healthcare reforms, 
various new ideas. And if you read through some of those, you'll be better prepared. If you listen to America's Web Radio and some of the other healthcare broadcasts, you'll better understand some of the things that are going on in the healthcare area and health insurance area. And you'll find it very much worth your while. So let's go on and wrap up and then talk about where we go from here. But many in this uninsured population wouldn't be covered by health care if small businesses could afford to offer and subsidize the purchase of health insurance. It's that working poor, that young individual, that young family that's starting off in life, that's working for a company. Maybe it's a small company that normally doesn't have benefits because they're struggling just to survive and get a foothold in the marketplace. They'll offer insurance when they get larger and more financially sound, but they don't offer insurance now because it's just too expensive. Well, if we can make that more affordable, they're interested and willing because they need employees now when there's such a low level of unemployment in this country. So the program that we're going to be talking about creates a private market that supports these affordable individual insurance policies and the expansion of affordable small group plans. So... What are we going to talk about? Where do we pare this down to? We said we're going to eliminate and sort of start the biggest piece. Well, the biggest piece we said was about 200 million Americans that currently have health insurance, that many in the political arena today, many of the, the potential Democratic candidates for president are saying they're going to get rid of private health insurance. Well, that's 200 million people that we're talking about helping So the program would eliminate the complication of most proposals by focusing on the most problematic part of the healthcare system, health insurance for individuals and small groups. These are the largest affected populations and of most concern to voters. So let's look at the various segments and say, what does this new program we're going to describe in greater detail as time goes on? What is it that we're going to deal with? Well, the large employer side, Yes, we're going to deal with that and create affordable health care, eliminate the Cadillac tax, eliminate the definition of full-time employees, which now says anything over 30 30 hours is a full-time employee. So we're getting companies that won't let you work overtime, won't let you work more than 30 hours, because if they do, that creates Obamacare mandates and requirements. So the large employers need some help in these different regulatory areas. Small employer-sponsored plan, absolutely yes. This is probably the most critical area of the reforms that we're talking about. There we need to be sure that there is guaranteed issue, that we're covering pre-existing conditions, and we eliminate this crazy idea of single risk pool and that price compression that we talked about earlier. Individual policies, again, absolutely critical. Many people would like to have portable health insurance plans as opposed to employer-sponsored plans. Many self-employed individuals would like to buy good individual policies. Many people who are working for small plans that may never offer health insurance until they get larger and more financially sound, they need to buy health insurance policies for themselves and their families. So individual policies is a critical part of our future in health care and health insurance reform. So, yes, we're going to be talking about that. Again, guaranteed issue and pre-existing conditions is the most critical issues facing that part of the market. And, of course, the uninsured, people who have decided they don't want insurance for various reasons, many of which is because they cannot afford insurance. It's not affordable. we got to make this whole thing affordable so that many of that 28.5 million people currently uninsured 
actually will find it valuable enough, affordable enough to buy insurance. They need comprehensive major medical plans. They need catastrophic plans. They need temporary insurance plans. and need many more affordable options, including health savings accounts. Which ones have we eliminated in this process? They still need separate reforms. There's still a lot of issues going on in these different markets. They need reforms. They need more flexibility. And the problems exist because these are already government programs. Medicaid. We need to think about block grants to states and elimination of the waste, fraud, and abuse that exists in the Medicaid program. It is probably the worst program for health care that's available in the United States because people cannot get coverage properly provided to them because doctors and hospitals don't accept it unless they're absolutely mandated and forced to on the hospital side. But many employer or many physicians simply say, I'm not taking any more Medicaid. I've closed off what I have. I'll service what I have, but I'm not taking any more. Medicare, that needs enormous amounts of reform. We'll probably do some separate podcasts on Medicare down the road. It's got to be changed. It was developed in the 1960s, 1965, uh, and we copied then the Blue Cross Blue Shield programs that were available in 1964. Nobody in the working population coverage, employer-sponsored plans, has a Part A, a Part B, a Part C, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's a a plan uh, that many people like because they don't know what they could have. So we'll talk about the kinds of reforms that should exist down the road in Medicare. Um, It should be things like expanded Medicare Advantage and prescription drug costs under control at a very minimum. The VA, TRICARE, and the Children's Health Insurance Plan. Again, a lot more flexibility in each of these programs and some private care options. These are all government programs, Medicaid, Medicare, TRICARE, VA, and the Children's Health Plan. They all have major problems to a large degree caught up in the bureaucracy. And once legislation is passed, it's very difficult to improve it, to change it. There's an old saying, legislation tends to crowd out the future. And that's what's happened in many of these programs. They are ancient plan designs that really aren't the most effective programs. They don't have the newest ways to incentivize and change behaviors to reward good health and health care decision making. So those are eliminated, and we'll focus on the biggest part of the market as a start, and then we'll come back and look at reforms in these other areas if we could ever get reform in the private market. So by focusing on the private insurance market alone, these health insurance programs that we're describing shows how conservative solutions will work for what the majority of working Americans are concerned about. It avoids the political demagoguery that Medicaid and Medicare reforms inevitably bring. If that's what Republicans want to talk about, if that's what any politician wants to talk about, such reforms are typically characterized as hurting the poor and throwing grandmother over the cliff. You never get anything done when the kind of demagoguery occurs. We need to have a better time to discuss and openly develop some bipartisan approach to Medicaid and Medicare reforms. In the current political environment, that just doesn't seem possible. So rather than bringing those into the fray at this point, let's set those aside for another time. We should be able to get a more uniform agreement on how to develop a private health insurance market. So save those battles for another day and solve the concerns most affecting working voters. So let's wrap up this first program, this last segment, 
with a review of sort of where we've been, what we've discussed, and sort of where we're going. Let's refresh ourselves on some of the terminology that's been used in this first program. Health care. Health care is when one receives services from medical providers, medical care givers. That's different than health insurance, which is how one finances those medical services. Of course, you can finance medical care in a number of ways. This health insurance is the major way most people finance health care. You can also pay for some of it, as many of us do, with deductibles and coinsurance, with cash, with checks. Many of us also pay for those services with health savings account, monies we put aside that are tax-advantaged dollars. But those accounts are usually attached and a part of a health insurance program. There's also other ways, flexible savings accounts, health reimbursement arrangements, but health insurance is the main way most people finance medical services. We talked about fully insured group health plans. What are they? Well, a fully insured group health plan is a traditional way to finance an employer-sponsored health plan. With a fully insured health plan, businesses pay a premium to a risk-bearing insurance carrier for the payment of any claims that might occur. We talked about a self-insured group health plan. That's one in which the employer assumes the financial risk for providing health care benefits to its employees. Because the employer is at risk, it's usually very large employers that offer self-insured plans. As we'll talk about later in one of the other broadcasts, because Obamacare allows more flexibility under self-insured plans, it's no longer just for large groups. Many of the smaller groups have designed and developed programs to become self-insured. Many carriers are offering specialized products that are identified as self-insured plans to very small groups in order to avoid much of Obamacare, which creates more anti-selection, creates more problems. doesn't have to be an insurance company that provides the services for self-insured employers. Many times it's a TPA, third-party administrator, that processes the claims and provides the legal and actuarial and printing services for a large employer. We've mentioned the term socialized medicine a couple of times. But what is socialized medicine? Socialized medicine is defined as where the government pays for all health care costs, operates the hospitals, and employs the medical staff. Basically, everybody in the health care system becomes an employee of the federal government. What's a single-payer system? Because you've heard that many times by politicians, by people running for office, by articles that you may read. We mentioned it during this podcast. A single payer is where the government pays for all health care costs, but the hospitals and doctors are privately, but heavily regulated by the government. So they're not employees, but they're heavily regulated. So where do we go from here? Where are our next programs going to talk about? I hope these podcasts and videos will become the source of education and legislation that can afford individuals with the right kind of health insurance that they want in order to access the health care that they need. 
for more information and to prepare yourself for Health Insight podcasts, you can follow and go along with many of the presentations that are available on americaswebradio.com. In addition, more on health care reform can be found. And if you want to do some advanced reading to better understand the next podcast, you can find more information at www.healthcareinsight.net. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope this was helpful to you, and I hope you'll come back and listen to future podcasts as we completely design our healthcare system. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.